Hello and welcome to the Flying Frisbee podcast with me, Dominic Frisbee. As always, you can read today's article or you can listen to it or you can read and listen at the same time as many like to do. And today's piece is called, I keep saying it, the risk is not owning Bitcoin. The unstoppable rise goes on. Bitcoin is off on one of its runs, it seems. Congratulations to all who bought and held. It is now trading at all-time highs in 30 different currencies around the world, currencies representing more than 60% of the world's population. How about that for a thought? From China and India to Congo and Sudan, it's like a Noel Coward song. In US dollars, we're flirting with $60,000, still roughly 15% from the peak of $69,000, the all-time high, back in late 2022. In British pounds, the all-time high was around £48,000. We're touching that now. Meanwhile, MicroStrategy, ticker symbol NDXMSTR, which we suggested as a means to play Bitcoin via trad, a traditional broker, and avoid the FCA-created headaches of buying and investing in Bitcoin in the UK, is going great guns. $960 now, it was $350 when we first recommended it in the summer. Is it too late to buy? No. I haven't been asked on TV yet to talk about it. See me on the box, then you can start getting concerned that the top is near. There is no doubt that the market is hot, hot, hot at the moment, and when markets get this hot, that usually means it's time to back off. Cripes, the amount of excitement on social media is screaming, run away. But Bitcoin is like one of those metals, tungsten or tantalum, which can withstand abnormally high levels of heat. The evidence of previous bull markets is that that Bitcoin gets overbought and stays overbought. I have repeatedly argued that the risk with Bitcoin is not owning it, it is not owning it. That hopefully makes sense in print. The potential of this thing is so abnormally huge, why would you not want to have a position? We're talking about the most technologically brilliant system of money ever invented. Own a piece of the pie. Why Bitcoin will supersede other monies. Remember the old rhyme, money is a matter of functions for, a medium, a measure, a standard and a store. National currencies are a goodish medium of exchange within national borders, but even then they have their shortcomings. They're useless for micropayments. The smallest amount you can pay in the UK is 1p. Most banks and credit card companies won't even process amounts that small. Even medium-sized transactions can be problematic. I wasted about an hour of my life this morning on the phone to Lloyds Bank as their security blocked a transfer of £3,950 that I was trying to make. In the grand context of things, that's not a huge sum, but Lloyd's alarms went off and that was it. One hour, gone. During my peak productive time, too. That's one of the reasons this missive is late. But for cross-border transactions, national currencies are crap. Forex fees, paperwork, slow transaction speeds. If I want to send a payment to someone who operates with a different currency of, say, £1 via a bank, The costs are prohibitive. Revolut is about my only option, and that has issues. If I want to send a micropayment of, say, one-tenth of a cent, it's just impossible. But industries based around micropayments are a huge area of potential growth, especially in a world of artificial intelligence and the Internet of Things. Streaming, apps, games, in-app and in-game purchases, rewards, likes, donations, tipping, credit card verification... 
um, identity verification, Wi-Fi access, public document access, libraries, parking, phone calls, public transport, paper use in cloud computing, exchange of or access to information via the Internet of Things, content licensing, ad-free browsing, access to news and journalism. There are, these are all areas that will see enormous use for micropayments. And national currencies do not enable the micropayments economy. They're barriers to it, especially across borders. And then, at the other end of the scale, somebody just transferred the Bitcoin equivalent of $1.3 billion for a fee of $2. It took a minute or two. No forms, permits or declarations were required. You can send huge amounts of money or tiny amounts of money across board for a fraction of the effort. Bitcoin is a good medium of exchange for the internet. It will only get better. The pound has lost a third of its purchasing power just since 2020, according to Trueflation. Since January 2020, Bitcoin, meanwhile, has gone from £5,000 to almost £50,000, which is the better store of value. Measured in the constant that is gold, the pound has lost 90% of its purchasing power just this century. Gold was £150 an ounce in 1999, today it's over 1500 Meanwhile, since its inception in 2009, Bitcoin has been the world's best performing asset. So what if it's volatile? Finally, we have the last two functions of money, measure and standard. A measure, in other words a unit of account, needs to be constant to be effective. National currencies, because of the constant debasement, fail in this regard. Statisticians and economists have to resort to inflation-adjusted dollars, but not everybody agrees as to what inflation actually is, never mind the inflation rate. Bitcoin has not attained widespread unit of account status yet, but its finite supply will eventually make it a more constant unit. As for standard, that is coming too. Safedean wrote a book with that very title, whether as a standard of deferred payment or a standard as in the gold standard. Its independence and ever-increasing purchasing power will see to that. But this evolution, even if inevitable, technology is destiny after all, will take many years yet, which is another reason I argue that it is not too late to take the orange pill. By the way, there are many people who are so sure that Bitcoin is going to a million dollars, they're now measuring the Bitcoin price thus 0.05 of a million. How about that for a unit in a standard? The point I'm eventually trying to get to is this. Institutions and individuals tend to hold their savings in fiat dollars, pounds, euros or yen. Corporations keep their treasuries in fiat. In doing so, even with interest, you are losing 5 to 10% per annum to currency debasement. This is guaranteed. Imagine being a Japanese corporation holding your treasury in yen. Meanwhile, Michael Saylor is keeping the corporate treasury of MicroStrategy in Bitcoin, indeed issuing paper to buy more Bitcoin. In doing that, he's 10x'd his company's valuation in four years. MicroStrategy has gone from $1.4 billion to $14 billion market cap. Do you not think other CEOs will follow suit? Bitcoin is becoming an online savings vehicle, the default online savings vehicle, ahead of fiat. When other large corporations and billionaires start keeping their treasuries in Bitcoin as a norm, and we're still a few years from that, this is when the price moonshots and hyper-Bitcoinization happens. Of course, hyper-Bitcoinization may not happen. Then again, maybe it will. Where and when does this bull market end? I've mentioned before there are four typical phases to a Bitcoin cycle. 
There's the quiet accumulation. Few outside of the bubble of ardent Bitcoiners take notice as it discreetly creeps up. There's two, there's the frenzy and the blow-off top. The price rises accelerate. There's a rush to buy. The media's all over it. Everyone on social media is growing. There's a huge row about whether Bitcoin's in a bubble or not. See 2013, 2017 and 2021 for more details. There's the monster correction. Bitcoin loses over 70% of its value. Economists who missed the boat go on telly and declare they were right, ignoring the fact that the price to which Bitcoin corrected is to is several hundred percent above where the quiet accumulation phase began. And for the frustrating consolidation, Bitcoin goes into a period of range trading, consolidating the gains of the previous bull market. This is a period of relative quiet, at least by Bitcoin standards. There are rallies that get many excited, but prove to be false storms. Investors get frustrated by the grinding action. The media loses interest. Many forget about it. And so we gradually drift into another quiet accumulation phase. We're now in the early stages of phase two, the frenzy. This typically comes around halvings, but the ETFs appear to have brought it forward. So what's next and when does this bull market end? There are some obvious numbers to look for. 69,000, the old high, there'll be resistance there. After that, everyone who ever bought Bitcoin ever and held is in profit. How about that for a thought? Then $100,000, it's such a big round number, like 1,000 and 10,000 before it, I'm inclined to think we get there this year. Bitcoin bear cycles, stage three and above, tend to last about a year. Consolidations, about another year. Bull markets tend to last two or three years. This one began 15 months ago. There'll be wild whipsaws on the way, but I suggest this phase has a good year to go before it's done. Three years ago, $69,000 felt too expensive. It doesn't anymore. And I think this bull market ends with Bitcoin at six figures. And the evidence of previous bull markets is that we overshoot to the upside. But don't expect not to get thrown about along the way. A final thought. I first heard about Bitcoin in December 2010. It was 20 cents. I didn't really look into it. I just thought it sounded like a cool idea. When I came around to the idea of buying a few months later, the price kept on going up. I got outbid for some physical Bitcoins on eBay, I remember. I couldn't bring myself to buy something after it had doubled and tripled. It went to $32, then it corrected all the way to $2. I still didn't buy. I think I lost interest at that point. People were giving me coins at this stage, trying to get me into it. And then the price started going up again. It went to $200, then to $1,200. I ended up writing a book about it. Even though I had a position, I never put the amount of money I should in because I couldn't bring myself to buy something that, was, that had gone up so much and kept going up. I could be a stupendously rich billionaire now, but I was scared off by the price rises. I'm fine, by the way. You don't need to worry about me, but I have a fraction of what I might have had. I got hacked as well, but that's another story. In December 2017, with Bitcoin at $5,000, I went on the BBC Daily Politics show to talk about it. Over the next month, it quadrupled to $20,000 before going into one of its bear phases. Even buying at the very top of that cycle, you would still have tripled your money. The moral of all this is do not be put off by the rising price. Here's that interview, by the way. There's a lot to be learned from it. It's uh, at the bottom of the article. And uh, Dr. Savas Savuri, chief economist, PhD, uh, has a bit of a reckoning with karma if you watch it. <laughs> and uh, if you want my guide to buying Bitcoin, I'll post a link to it at the end of the article, but I'm going to put up an updated guide up in the next few days.
Thanks very much for being a listener. Uh, Thanks very much for being a subscriber. And I'll be back with another podcast very soon. Goodbye.